Hello and welcome, friends, to another edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, right here on your community radio station. We're WFMP Louisville broadcasting to you from 106.5 FM here in the historic Hayburn Building in downtown Louisville. We're also live streaming wherever you are in the world. You can catch us anytime at forwardradio.org. And that's also the place to go to get podcasts of our archives of our local shows. Uh, you can share them out with your friends if you love what you're hearing there at forwardradio.org. Also the place to go to support the station with your dollars. We're all listener-sponsored or with uh, your volunteer time. Uh, we're all volunteer-powered as well. Uh, so what we do on Sustainability Now each week is bring in folks from around the community, sometimes from around the nation, in to share their views and, and perspectives on sustainability and the work they're doing in making sustainability a reality now. Uh, and I'm really excited to go national today with a guest, uh, Eloisa Lewis, uh, who is joining us actually today from a hemp farm in Connecticut. I'm looking forward to asking her about that. She's a climate scientist and founder of the Think Tank, New Climate Culture, which you can learn more about at newclimateculture.com. Welcome to the program, Eloisa. Thank you so much, Justin. It's really great to be here. Yeah, yeah. So are you, you're not Connecticut-based, are you? Tell me what you're doing there. Absolutely. So I'm from Arizona, originally based in Arizona. That's where my company is registered. But I'm here right now because I often travel and consult with other permaculture designers and climate scientists who are just doing really good regenerative work in the world. So this particular hemp farm is the CBG Gurus Hemp Farm. And they're out here farming USDA organic hemp. So it's certified with sustainable practices like Korean natural farming and integrated pest management, which means, yeah, just no harsh chemicals, no pesticides, making sure that the plants are fed the best diets themselves so that the plants can really bring the most medicine to the people and the different ways that we process them. Wow, cool. It sounds like you have such a cool job. <laughs> <laughs> I totally have the coolest job. <laughs> I know. Uh, we're definitely kindred spirits. What I do is, uh, is I help communities pursue a path of sustainable development. Uh, the community I'm in right now is this sort of urban academic one here in Louisville, but I've had great experiences doing that around the world, too. And I don't know. So many people feel sort of, sort of stuck in the old way of thinking or looking at their community or their business or whatever. And it, for me, it's so fun to come in with fresh eyes and help people get unstuck. <laughs> do, do you feel like you're doing that? I love that you say that, honestly. That is literally the sign of whether you're really able to, to deliver like what you're promising a community or not, I think, is like the idea that like you're going to be able to figure out the unique ways that people are feeling stuck because it can happen anyway at any time right. and having to be like how out of this huge toolbox of resources that we have like how are we going to unstuck ourselves <laughs> and do it together and do it in a way that is you know so that it's replicable again in the future and so that we've got that momentum going of breakthroughs and breakthroughs and breakthroughs yeah. amidst the breakdowns because the breakdowns are also in the mix and that's okay so there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of unstucking that we're doing and a lot of um, just like creativity yeah. is probably the, the word of the moment and a word that I'm saying a lot lately because having creativity and imagination is how you can even stay optimistic to be like, there's 
definitely a solution. There's got to be a solution. Yes. Yes. Creativity, a willingness to, as you mentioned, sort of stumble and, and learn from those failings and uh, being, time. being observant and curious. I mean, all these things are really critical to changing the world because we know that the world we're swimming in is just so out of whack right now and so unhealthy and so unsustainable. Uh, but mm. but but we're not really taught in regular education about how to see a better way forward, right? A thousand percent. Yeah, <laughs> I think that, you know, eight or nine out of 10 schools that I go to um, is like asking me, what are we doing wrong? Mm. And sometimes very often the answer is kind of everything. Mm. <laughs> and that is painful to hear. <laughs> But it's not it's not untrue and um, and it's not insurmountable. It's not impossible um, at all. It's just kind of like, OK, well, and, and that's again, that's kind of exaggerating, but because it can feel that way. It can feel like, oh, man, she's saying everything is wrong. <laughs> well, no, what's right? What's right is that you're asking the question of what yeah. are we doing wrong in the first place? That's what's right. And we all should be doing that all the time is kind of like where is my system maybe where could my system be improved and especially thinking about sustainability and longevity like how can i my big question that i'm asking myself and my clients every day is like how can we make systems that are going to be maintenance free for as long as possible that's mm. what makes me think about sustainability i'm thinking i hate maintenance like maintenance <laughs> keeps you attached to the things to the problems because you're constantly maintaining a system like you know keep, you're the life support for the system mm. i don't want to be life support for the systems i create i want my systems to be so abundant and so living that they are almost independently operating from me once yeah. i get them started which means that they fit in their local context right that Yes. There's a lot of people who are kind of concerned about us othering nature, but I still use the term nature to some degree. That, that sort of nature uh, recognizes this system that you've created and knows how to work with it, right? It's our, yes. What's got us into so much trouble, I think, is that we just sort of impose what what we sort of create is we think this is going to make sense because of X, Y, or Z, some goal we have or some resources we have available to us. So let's just do it without even thinking about how nature would see this, right? Exactly. Like, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Mm. So we're really looking at biomimicry. And it doesn't mean that, like, nature never fails. Because that's another false thing. Like, we can look back at ancestors who who hunted out all the sure. largest grazing animals and be like, oh, they didn't know more than we did just because they were, like, more primitive than us. Mm. So it's not necessarily like that. And also we see species that that they they drive themselves to their own extinction like we've seen that um when i was back in university i would study species that were in the baja california that would like have evolution problems and then they would evolve in a certain way that would bring them to their own extinction so again it's not like that nature is infallible it's actually just that we need to be uh, actively observing what's going right and what's going wrong so that we don't start step stepping and standing mm. and swimming in the streams that are basically doomed to failure because mm. other animals have also tried to do unsustainable things, unsustainable mating practices, unsustainable mutations in their genetics. And then because the environment recognized was responding to that, the environment would be like, okay, well now you have dots on your skin. So you're going to get <laughs> eaten by all the predators in the region. And that could be the reason why you go extinct or whatever. So we're just trying to avoid that type of um, thinking where like, 
we're neither against nature nor are we completely um supposed to like be without thought in nature we're we're not against it we're not fighting nature but we're also not so much natural that we forget to self-examine so there's always this like balance in all things which is why i just love um all the the kind of golden rule in the middle path and the idea that like it's really not about extremes ever like if you go to one side or one extreme and you want to make that the solution for humanity like every time it's just going to run us round and (laughs) and and run us aground basically Absolutely. This is wonderful. I, I can tell we're going to have a great conversation today already. We're diving into so many interesting things. But I, I want to take a step back and just a, a sort of by way of introduction, you know, I want to recognize the value of your perspective as a Mexican-American. So I wonder if you could tell us about how that background influences your views on sustainability and the climate crisis uh, and why there's such a need for more minority and BIPOC voices in this movement? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, for so many reasons, like, okay, I'll start with myself for sure. Yeah. So with myself, like I grew up immediately recognizing that there's like a problem with borders because my mom was an illegal immigrant. She's an illegal child immigrant who her, her mother brought her across the border after a tragedy that happened to them and my, my family in Mexico. And so they were looking for a better life. They were looking for a restart. And um, it could have been anywhere. It could have been in Europe. It could have been in South America. The idea is they were humans looking for help and looking for community. And um, then my mom went through her own immigration process over the course of her life and had her own relationship to that identity. But for me, as a child, I was, um, so my father's is Canadian Scottish. My mother is Mexican. And um, I was American. So I was like really the first generation American and um, having my parents having met in the middle um, and had me. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, what does it even mean to be American since both my Mm. parents don't even totally know. Mm. And I'm also Mexican and I also have this relationship to borders where um, I feel like I'm I'm very closely an immigrant in in this country. And um, the first thing that really came to me when I was about like 13 years old or so was like, why are butterflies allowed to migrate across (laughs) continents? Why are birds and and whales allowed to migrate without borders, without passport checks, Mm. without any kind of um, governmental regulation on their movement? And that's actually what's best for them. And so it made me wonder, is this possible for humans too? Like, why are we, (laughs) why are we so different from the birds? Why are we so different from the butterflies and the migrating whales that seem to self-organize more effectively than any top down organization could be? Um, So that was really where the, the birth of my like kind of climate awareness came from was this idea and this tension of like, what does it mean to be legal? What does it mean to be a legal person on any land or property in the world considering i'm a wild animal also so what's what are my rights like why aren't i an endangered species that has a protective habitat and um you know access to clean water and clean food for free and medical care and stuff like that and (laughs) Like, why isn't that considered a human right if it's considered a right for the wildlife the and the threatened endangered species um, wow. on our planet? And yeah, that was just that was just the beginning of those questions for me that cracked open this kind of Pandora's box of like, what is civilization? What is society? 
But like why so many BIPOC voices are important in this space is because the answers to those questions come from communities that are tribal and not colonized. So that if you want to look for systems that are completely different and innovative and culturally aware and, and have practices that have never touched like the American mainstream, then that's exactly like where we're gonna get solutions that we've never seen before because we're going to look at traditions and and it doesn't mean like again it doesn't mean that like there's a perfect culture or a perfect right. ethnic group or, or people it just means like we have to expand our toolbox so that we can include as many cultures peoples and perspectives as possible because that's how we're going to get the most interesting solutions and the most interesting mixtures and um, compromises and conversations mm -hmm. and conflicts because like good things can arise from conflict too um, as long as we don't, again, go to extremes and we remember, like, what's the point of the conflict? Is it to know each other better? Is it to create a consensus or yeah. um, to to work toward peace? Because we all can recognize how war ravages us. So um, that's BIPOC voices are super important because, again, it's about multicultural perspectives. Also, like on a whole nother level, when people ask me about my work with the indigenous and people will be like, are you empowering them? I'm like, no, they're empowering me. Like these <laughs> people have access to seeds and spores and species that none of us that aren't a part of that tribe or that land project have any access to. So like really it's about the most precious resources on earth being biodiversity. 80% of the world's biodiversity is in indigenous people's hands. So if in the BIPOC territory, the queer territory or the indigenous territory, like of culture and philosophy then where are we even are we still in colonialism are we still in patriarchy are we in like a mixture of these things mm. just trying to sort it all out like that's what I, i'm the conversations i love to have with clients and with everybody because i think that that's again why i named my company new climate culture because it's yes biology is important science is important that's the heart of what we're doing carbon sequestration however the conversation far from ends there. Right. And definitely we got to loop in every single buddy. <laughs> right. And it is fundamentally about culture change. So I'm, I'm really glad that you touched on that. And what you were saying about colonialism, I mean, it really is a, just a wonderful way of putting it. And it's it's basically a better way of saying than what I said at the beginning about sort of coming in and imposing our, idea, our ideas on nature. Basically, that's a colonial mindset that we need to get away from, right? Absolutely, yeah. I think that it, at heart, um, colonialism is about um, two things. It's about basically land is property. Mm. That's like one of the most fundamental philosophical tenets of colonialism, that land should be something that is bought and sold just like human bodies were. And also um, colonialism believes that theft is good because you can see that like there's been so much looting um, that's really been led by colonizers. Mm. They're at the forefront. If, if you look at looting as a historical movement, um, you can track, you know, where all these historical artifacts still are yeah. in what museums and who owns them. And it's always been like the wealthiest most exploitative people on the planet who are basically like i won and mm. now that i've won through violence i get to take all your things mm. 
we had a battle <laughs> i was stronger now i get to take all your stuff mm. and that's been kind of the, another modality of colonialism which is basically like haha sucker i win you lose which is really not collaborative pro-social behavior it's very futile like i was just recording something earlier for my marketing agency and we were talking about how like our current agricultural and economic systems are totally futile and people mm -hmm. have forgotten that because it's been we don't wear the same outfits we have <laughs> you know we have more technology we have other things going on that are distracting us from the fact that we're servants to the landholders whoever's holding the land we're now in servitude to them and so yeah colonialism is exploitative it's violent it's not consent based because consent is really about like do i consent to being a part of this system at all or was i just born into a system that enslaved me from the beginning where i didn't have the choice to be anything other than like a, a wheel in this machine or a cog in this machine um perpetuating it forward of this culture of this economics of mm. this government all those things like i don't think it should be um controversial or um like I'm just exercising free speech when I say, hey, wait a second, I wanna know why I don't have the right to consent to this mm. government. Like I want I want someone to present that argument to me in a way that makes sense when I know that I've spent my whole life searching for that and mm. I don't, I have not been convinced yet that there's any reason that I shouldn't be fighting for more freedoms um, and questioning the structures that give me those freedoms. Like why aren't, why is it not, not me and my, local community that creates the circumstances for what I'm allowed to do more than again, these super top down, powerful mm. nation states that range over huge um, pieces of land, huge amounts of economic resources. And it's usually generational. It's very hard to mm -hmm. get access to these clubs. And I just know that my friends and I and other cultures have already just been doing it better, just doing it totally separately from those systems which is the most exciting thing I can imagine yeah. and be a part of. And again, it's just like, um, it's just about free speech. It's just about like, let's just talk about what's the best idea for all of us, because I'm interested in that more than being right. I'm interested in like, I want to know what's the most elegant, abundant way to create the most thriving uh, agricultural civilization, for mm -hmm. example, in North America. I want to know, how to do that and then create my government to respect that instead of creating a government and then having to work my agriculture to them i'd rather be like no no no. what are the conditions of the best agriculture that could possibly happen and then let's create all the legislature to reflect that and to wow. respond to that and to um ref and to respect that so that it's it, i love reverse engineering working yeah. from the solution <laughs> backwards let's find the solution and work backwards the conditions that it would take to get to that right. solution instead of just trying to continuously basically patch up holes in in the titanic shinking ship <laughs> that is our current like death and dead economy um that just really is stressing all of us out yep. taking up way too much of our time yep. like this isn't even contra that's not even controversial if we like <laughs> went out into the street and we're like does anyone feel 
way too stressed out by society right now raise your hand like come on we'd all raise our hand we'd all be like let's hit where's the pause button yeah where's the nap button yeah any of it <laughs> and it requires all that maintenance you hate yeah 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 that's what i'm saying <laughs> uh, the, the daily bureaucracy maintenance oh. of, of keeping anything going when my time would be much better spent like out in the field um you know just with the plants and the soil and the, and and if i could put if i could put 24 hours of my day or more into just that i would and i know a lot of us would actually so we're just trying to keep the lights on and the heat on in the meantime yeah my guest today is Eloisa Lewis. We're having such a great conversation. Climate scientist and founder of New Climate Culture. You can learn more at newclimateculture.com. She's spent the past decade living in urban centers on farms, homesteads, artists, residences, eco-villages, communes, schools, tiny houses, squats, and tents to help communities become more resilient and resistant to disasters through education. Uh, this is so great. One of the things you said earlier about the importance of cultural diversity made me think of what you said right off the top about biomimicry, right? Like there is, there are so many lessons that we can learn from healthy functioning natural systems about the value of diversity. And the problem of monocultural anything, whether it's culture or agriculture, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, basically, when there's like a monoculture, you could think of it as like an echo chamber. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, it's just a feedback loop that reinforces itself. But without diversity, there's not enough complexity for growth to happen. So growth and complexity are inherently intrinsically connected. Mm. And a lot of people are afraid of complexity. Sure. Um, <laughs> a lot of people find complexity to be stunning, to be paralyzing. Yeah. And that makes sense because like the current state of the complexity of things is by no means easy to digest. Mm -hmm. um, however, it has to be digested and processed <laughs> in order for us to get through it. So like take your probiotics and buckle in because it's definitely like it's definitely something that has to be composted all of our traumas all of our perspectives all of our pains all of our shared hopes that's mm. all out here in the kind of uh soup that is our our energies and our realities our infrastructure and so balancing that stuff processing it is key and definitely diversity again diversity is a key to complexity so diversity unlocks complexity complexity mm. unlocks growth and growth is, again, it comes from challenge. It comes from adversity. It comes from um, mutation. It comes from randomness. Growth can come in so many ways, but it won't come in monocultures. And mm -hmm. that's all, that's one of the, not all we know, but that's one of the most, if you don't know, if you don't, if you leave this conversation knowing nothing else, then knowing that monocultures are bad is, is a great way to begin and that permaculture is is something that people should be looking into that's all right that's that's enough for me if that's like the main message then i hope anyone can run with that and start to to take on permaculture as a as a hobby or a curiosity or anything because yeah it's it's the wave it's the next wave and i'm happy to claim that and represent <laughs> that for my gang out here for my crew because that's that's what it is it's permaculture is is the great remembering mm. and the great re resolution that like we've always there's always been humans on earth who have been interested in creating really abundant agricultural civilizations that we can share mm. and there's always been humans on earth interested in world peace 
there's always been even that doesn't mean every single person was working toward that that's okay but if enough of us can then and enough of us has like there's been a lot of work done in the past that i'm just standing on the shoulders of gurus and biologists and uh, housewives and um you know, escaped slaves mm -hmm. that have all brought these seeds of wisdom metaphorically and physical seeds like Moringa seeds into mm. my hands that I wouldn't have those things without, um, you know, those people who believed and had faith that it's life is worth living. Life is worth cultivating. <laughs> life yeah. is worth celebrating. Like that's really it. Living it, loving it, celebrating it, cultivating life. Like, um, if you're doing that, then you're you're walking the path for sure. Oh, you're so right. Uh, well, so let's talk more about this because you have a permaculture design certificate from the Urban P Permaculture Institute of San Francisco. So for our listeners who maybe aren't so familiar with permaculture, give us a, you know, we don't have a lot of time, but what, what do you mean by it? And especially, you know, what can it teach us in an urban setting about living an urban life uh, more sustainably? Oh my God, yeah. So permaculture is in a nutshell, like a design science focused on regenerating ecosystems. So permaculture is about learning what combinations and alchemies that you need to create to regenerate any a broken ecosystem, a damaged ecosystem, a poisoned ecosystem, or even a place with oil spills, stuff mm. like that, like from the worst, from nuclear sites, all the way to Flint, Michigan with its water crisis, all the way back to Arizona, where I'm from, where it, it was illegal to collect rainwater for in many counties. Um, so like we're talking about a crisis of infrastructure and of environmental toxins and permaculture is the proven most rapid solution to any of those issues, wow. including greenhouse gas drawdown, which is carbon sequestration, which means reversing global warming. So it kind of permaculture is kind of this like sword in the stone or this kind of Merlin or this kind of beautiful, um, fractal that once you catch the patterns of what's going on in permaculture, you can apply it to any system and you're going to see life is going to thrive. It's kind of like miracle grow for your, for your life. <laughs> the good kind of miracle grow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 The real kind, the real the kind, kind you don't need to worry about <laughs> <laughs> the kind that doesn't inquire, it require extraction. Right. Um, right. It, yeah. It, no that... fossil fuel, no, no plastic. If we can avoid it. Um, there's definitely like, transitional models and i have friends who are breeding like mealworms and mushrooms to eat plastic and cigarette butts right mm. now so it's definitely about and that's within permaculture design so um we're talking about like for me it's like the, the coolest technology on earth right like if we were in like a, a tech podcast right now i'd be like straight up permaculture is the future of technology in the next at least 100 years if not 300 years like if it doesn't come through a permaculture lens are you even doing business are you even right. creating viable systems at all and uh, i think that's what's so cool about it why i've dedicated my life to it is because i really see like the path of permaculture and i love to be on it and yeah definitely um my school was important and i recommend like everybody find their route into permaculture because there's infinite ways to enter enter this yeah. field Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so another thing I want to ask you about in terms of definitional things, since we're at that, but you, you on the solstice, you were invited along with some other sustainability leaders to define sustainability 
for Politico, right? Can you tell yeah. us uh, what your response to that was? Oh, that was so fun, by the way. Like, that just interview is one of the most fun interviews I've ever <laughs> had in my life. And shout out to Deborah Khan, who is the one who interviewed me. She's so cool. Um, so basically, yeah, the question was, like, what is sustainability? And my answer is that it's about longevity again. So like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm looking for systems with low maintenance, yeah, um, high, high independence, low maintenance, so that I can set up as many systems as possible and walk away from them. And then they'll take care of themselves. And so, yeah, when I talk about sustainability for Politico, I mentioned like, I want to have thousand year old trees. And that might sound to some people like, whoa, is she serious? Are there even thousand year old trees? <laughs> there are. There yes. are trees that are thousands of years old all over the world because they've been they've been able to be respected instead of basically harvested for wood um, because there's been some places where, OK, this forest is sacred. And yeah. we don't over we don't clear cut it. You can harvest from trees, from healthy trees without clear cutting them now. Mm. So you can still like get wood and collect wood and process things and make economies from wood, but you don't that doesn't mean you have to chop a tree from its trunk. Yeah. So it's all about what kind of tree you're growing in what region. And also there's alternatives these days like bamboo where you can have like super fast growing bamboo or hemp. We can do things with bamboo and hemp that we used to do with trees. Sure. So no problem there anymore and hemp it grows super fast even faster than bamboo i believe so it's really just a matter of again human innovation being the problem not the the resources being like finicky or yeah. um particular or something like that as much as we might like to to believe that it's kind of like the resources fault or like the planet's fault it's really i think that everything's doing the best that it can and when we see these beautiful old growth forests and beautiful systems or like, again, a water system, I also mentioned, like if I could create a water system for my village or my city that's going to last 400 years mm. without maintenance, obviously we want that over the constantly breaking infrastructure of the municipal where, oh, shoot, we got to redo the pipes. We got to tear yeah. up the street redo all the pipes again, redo the plumbing. No, no, no. There's actually like, there's so much better ways to do it that it's heartbreaking for people like mm. me who already can see mm. like what we need for waste management, what we need for modern management. It's just heartbreaking every day when I go out and I see the city paying millions of dollars, billions of dollar contracts to status quo builders, status quo people who never learned they never had the education or the resources or the privilege mm. to learn about some better system. They're just inheriting the old literal colonial standard because this started from the, the this modality of building cities and plumbing and everything started with the colonization of the U.S. That did not happen here before then. And we can just admit that. That's just obvious. Mm -hmm. Like there was other ways of managing wastewater and food that were more sustainable pre-colonization. That doesn't mean they're like the only ways to do it or that we can't grow and create new um, new yeah. advances in the technology. It's just again about focusing on is this space over or underdeveloped? Mm. So you also mentioned like permaculture in cities. And so this leads back to that because essentially a city is an overdeveloped space because you could imagine that there would be food or trees growing or something like that where there's now concrete. Mm -hmm. So that's the overdevelopment of the space. We poured concrete and um, blacktop over the very places where we could have had communal farming or communal um, 
fishing or all kinds of other creative you know spaces when we really want to think about like disneyland happiest place on earth or something i'm thinking okay happiest place on earth for my neighbors and me is a place where we can go outside and hunt in our front yard or our backyard um gather up our food share our food together share our resources have artisanal goods because again what's culture without our without artisanal goods if everything's factory made we've already seen the effects of that in the last 50 years on the planet yeah. we're all looking too much close to each other anyway we're all looking like a monoculture anyway mm. um we need to get like creative we need to feel like sacred beings we need to feel like we have a reason to be here and part of how we do that is like by celebrating with the way that we present ourselves. What are our cultural garments? Mm. What do we have special ceremonies that we participate in in our neighborhoods and stuff? Can we create them across religions and cultures? Absolutely. Mm. Like it's my friends and I have been planning a festival in Montreal for this September. And one of our goals also is to invent a holiday that's like a holiday for all the religions to celebrate because the whole point is that we, are, we want world peace. So it's like a world peace holiday where it doesn't right. matter what religion you are. We're all going to pray for peace together on that day. Love it. Um, yeah. So like we can get really creative, really fun. Like it's really not about, oh, dragging into sustainability. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Once you taste the sustainability punch, fruit punch at the, at the potluck, you're going to know that you never tasted anything sweeter than that organic juice yeah. that comes from your neighbor's orchard. Mm. So that's what's really special and yeah. yeah that's permaculture and that's longevity and sustainability wonderful my guest is eloisa lewis a climate scientist and founder of new climate culture uh and she is joining us today from a hemp farm in connecticut she's in our virtual studio here on forward radio we're so glad to have her uh, another wonderful thing you said and i think you started touching on it when you started talking about disney there is that what what sustainability requires is public spaces that serve the public instead of just entertaining them. I really love that. You want to speak a little more to that and how you see it? Oh, totally. Right. Like, so I think about entertainment as an industry, it's really tapped into our deepest insecurities and psychologies. Cause that's like what the, the market has learned how to do over the last 100 years. Anyone who studied business knows this. And that's what marketing is all about, like psychology and tapping into people's impulses, tapping into people's um, sense of insecurity and sense of fulfillment. So knowing that is the basis of our kind of fundamental entertainment culture here in the U.S. Like we should question, again, what is that doing for us? Yeah. Like, are we here to fit into their box or are <laughs> they here to uh, to serve us being our, you know, if that's our community, then it's kind of like an abusive relationship. Mm. So mm. I think, yeah, I, again, I just think that it's really like the, the transition is about service and that doesn't mean martyrdom. Like I'm not asking people to rip out their hearts and <laughs> put it on the table for the community to eat because that's totally not it either. It's again, that's extreme. We're talking about balance. So service has to be when I do what I love, mm. when I do what I really love, it's how I love my community. Wow. So that's the bridge that we're making with the new economy and the new model. So, you know, I went to school for philosophy. You know how many smart, amazing business people and intelligent, uh, like, mentors around me were like, that's the dumbest thing you could ever do with your <laughs> life. Like, you're not going to make any money. You're, what are you studying philosophy for? Um, totally impractical. 
And I was like, that's completely fair, but love is love. And if you believe in love, then you got to believe in me and what I'm doing because I promise you that I'm chasing what I love. And what mm. I love is ideas. Mm. So studying philosophy was critical for me, not for everybody. And you can do it outside of school too. But I was just on my path in my way. That was what was available to me. And I knew philosophy was like the route for me to train my brain in argument. Because I knew that I wanted to be able to basically prove what like I wanted to not only make good arguments but also understand and interpret good arguments so right. that I could receive them so it's not it's a, it's a give and take always like if you're not able to admit that you're wrong when you're a philosopher you're never going to grow as a philosopher because it's a long road of failure <laughs> and failed theory and failed argument um since logic and validity are very um basically yeah talk about complexity like how do you prove that one plus one equals two that's the kind of questions that we would be like asking oh, in these yeah. upper level classes like yeah. what is the what is proof behind proof what is proof when when we see something and we say that's true mm. and so it's a totally like unrelated topic and 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 totally like useless for so many people in the world but it's exactly what made me a strong permaculture designer in the end yeah. because i i was able to recognize like okay, I want to t teach people about permaculture that might literally repulse from it. There might be people out there who hear about what permaculture is and they feel sick to their stomach. They feel terror. They feel, you know, anger. They feel these different emotional attachments and reactions to these concepts. And so my question was like, before I even knew my question, my question was going to be um, like, can I and how can I communicate what I believe is valid and what yeah. I believe is validity when I have to be up against all of the passions, complexities mm. and traumas of humanity? Because mm. I can see how they're directly interrelated where um, a lot of times the people who really reject permaculture are often rejecting it because they're so afraid of change and yeah. because they're so afraid of the unknown or even worse afraid of admitting that they're wrong <laughs> and that's that's horrible and tragic and i understand what it's like it, it doesn't it's not nice to be wrong right. i have a lot of pride <laughs> i have a lot of pride i get it yeah like it's horrible but it's it's actually you can retrain your brain to find relief in being wrong if you remember that the point wasn't to be right the point was to know the answer mm. the point was to be enlightened the point was never to be the 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 final word on truth because there is no final word on truth mm. um it's really just to receive the point is to receive so even when you receive feedback from the universe that what you're doing is wrong yes it's frustrating yes it might be wrong 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 way too many times in a row to feel like there's any relief from yeah. that but it doesn't matter because again the point of inquiry isn't being right the point of inquiry is to receive it's a different it's a different thing for me the relationship i have with inquiry and truth is very much about me like listening to the to the to the biomimicry and observing mm. the biology it tell me what it wants let it tell me what it needs and then i just step back and i respect that mm. wow picking up on this thread of truth uh i know that one of the issues you're very concerned about is is greenwashing and misinformation in corporate America. So talk to us a little bit about how how common that is. Uh, I, I think maybe we all know the answer to that. But 
I guess more importantly, how can our listeners distinguish greenwashing from actual information about, useful information perhaps, about a, a company's sustainability practices? Totally. So I can say a few things about this. Like, first of all, I came to this conclusion because of two reasons. Like I was auditing the industry myself. So I'd hire other climate science groups to work for my company. Uh -huh. And by doing that, I would be able to have access to their process. Um, and so I could critique it against my own. And I found that like there are a lot of these literally multinational companies are just barely scratching the surface <laughs> because they're because really the educational system is so messed up. Like I go to universities where an entire agroforestry program is still teaching feudal uh, agricultural mm -hmm. techniques. Mm -hmm. So so it's just I mean, whoever's fault it is, I just don't know. It doesn't matter at this point. It's not about blaming yeah. anybody. It's yeah. really just about recognizing that like people are spreading false information because they've been taught false information. And um, I'm just really lucky that I went to who I went to for help, basically, that I specifically went to very particular permaculture designers in the world and climate scientists in the world. And I was like, I want to learn from you because I see that you're doing something no one else is doing. And that's, that's what, that's how we perpetuate this knowledge. We have to believe in each other. So like, just like my teachers needed me to come and be a student, I need students to come and learn mm. from me. And that's how we're going to all spread this information out. And um, definitely look for transparency. That's like number one. So look for companies and organizations that are going to give you a direct link to the, what their carbon sequestration project is and that what their site is and who their affiliates are, their partners. Like right. that's how we do it at new climate. We make sure that you understand who all of our partners are and you can look at the sites that they're currently managing around the world, whether that's in the Philippines in the, in the ocean, or if that's in a lab in, in Pennsylvania, like, We've got the locations, the people, and the data to back up what we're saying. And also, most importantly, like, honestly, I think that the most interesting work is being done by independent researchers right now. And, like, you should, people should look outside the box, outside of the, the mainstream for hmm. solutions as well. Because um, a, lo a lot of the companies that I found doing the most um, disturbing greenwashing are definitely supported by like the major banks, like definitely there. So the people who are buying them up yeah. rapidly right now are banks. Like that's what you'll find in the offsetting market is that like, um, I'm not going to mention any names of any companies or banks, but basically what I had to let go a company in last year, I brought them on in 2021. And then I had to stop affiliating with them in 2022 because they were acquired by one of the largest um, fossil fuel bankrolling banks and insurance companies in the world. Wow. And so I understand that this is probably like damage control for them to acquire that group. But until I can see that group's progress, mm. I don't want to believe in them until I see them over the next five years and 10 years doing something amazing because for the short term, um, I just don't have faith in communities like that because, look, I don't have any overlord. I run my own company. I'm CEO and boss and there's no bank that's bankrolling me. And there's no um, like I've got basically my clients and I've got sponsors that directly support me. But there's and, and, and they're supporting me and who I am and what I believe in without restriction. Right. Like I won't sign a contract 
I've turned down half million dollar contracts for companies that want me to say things I don't want to say right, right, or right. who want me to um, give them too much of my time. That's not reasonable. That mm. would literally hold me back. <laughs> yeah. Like if they want 40 hours of my week, that doesn't make any sense. Cause I'm going to accomplish way more with all my teams than with just them. Yeah. And so um, like, these are hard truths, but yeah, I, I just, I would say look for transparency and, and look for community because the right community is going to help keep you away from the wrong products. Mm -hmm. So like getting, getting plugged in with your local co-ops and mm -hmm. um, farmers markets and stuff, ask them what they eat. Like ask yeah. your favorite farmer at the farmer's market, like, what are you eating this week? And <laughs> where do you shop? And, um, and, and where do I get this type of thing? Or how do I start a farm or whatever? This is all great questions because if you want to, if you want to stop greenwashing at the highest level, you're going to, basically have your own hands in the soil like right. if you want to if you want to learn what's good for the environment so that you can really check a company or check a, a government who's greenwashing you have to learn about what is climate science in order to even confront what is greenwashing so definitely like get educated but it's fun like climate science is the most fun coolest technology again <laughs> around like <laughs> i don't know how people wouldn't want to dive in wow Oh, I, we, I can't believe we're all out of time because I, there's so much more I want to ask you about. But this has been so wonderful. And I, I'm going to put links to uh, New Climate Culture and to your piece with Politico in the show notes for the podcast version of this program that people can find at forwardradio.org. But for now, we have to leave it there. I just want to thank you so much for your time today. Eloisa Lewis has been my guest joining us from a hemp farm in Connecticut today. Thank you, Eloisa. This has been great. Same. Yeah, Justin, you know, just have a wonderful day. And I hope everyone listening is expanding and looking forward to the future because we're building something beautiful. Love it. All right. On those words, stay tuned, my friends. Coming up in just a second, I got your community action calendar with all kinds of ideas about how you can get engaged in resiliency, sustainability, and permaculture this week right here in Louisville. So stay tuned, my friends. Just a little bit of love. Just a little bit of love.
we are back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg. I hope you've got your calendars out, your pencils sharpened, and you're ready for action for sustainability. This week, let's take a look at what's on the calendar. Well, Louisville Grows, as I mentioned before, is seeking volunteers to help canvas to identify homeowners who would like to become tree recipients during the upcoming March 18th South End Community Tree Planting. They need help every afternoon through February 12th. They're meeting up at the Value City parking lot there at 3426 Preston Highway. And folks are divvying up for two or three hour shifts. If you want to get to know the neighborhoods along the Preston Highway corridor and those who live there, well, you can join Louisville Grows as we canvas Preston Highway neighborhoods in District 21 going door to door looking for potential tree recipients. Canvassing is a great way to get to know your community and to speak for the trees. Volunteers will be trained and paired up with their expert canvassers to educate and advocate for restoring our urban canopy. The community tree planting, again, is going to take place on March 18th. To learn more, see the volunteer shifts available and to sign up for a two- to three-hour shift through February 12th, one that works for you, you can go to tinyurl.com slash Canvas South End 2023. slash Canvas South End 2023. Also coming up, it's the last in the Project Warm's Energy Management Workshops. They've been doing these around the community, helping people learn how to save 10 to 30% on your LGE bill through some simple energy saving tips. The last one is coming up on February 9th, and that one is going to be on Thursday from 11 a.m. to noon out at the First Neighborhood Place, uh, TJMS, at 1503 Rangeland Road, door number 16. If you want to learn more or register, you can go to projectwarm.org or give them a call at 502-636-9276. Again, it's coming up Thursday the 9th at 11 a.m. at First Neighborhood Place, door number 16, 1503 Rangeland Road. Speaking of other things trees-related, well, Trees Louisville has some volunteer opportunities coming up this week. And if you want to learn more or volunteer, you can email morgan at treeslouisville.org for any of these. Coming up on Thursday, February 9th, they need help out at Bick Elementary School from 12.30 to 2.30 p.m. They're going to be uh, small planting of eight trees and three 15-gallon-sized trees. So that'll be some relatively light work out at Big Elementary on Thursday at 12.30 p.m. if you can help out. Then coming up on Saturday, February 11th, they'll be out at Atherton High School from 1 to 3, helping plant 25 trees at Atherton and assisting high school students who will also be participating in that tree planting on Saturday at 1 p.m. Then on Sunday, February 12th, they'll be out uh, needing help at Newburgh Middle School with some mulching from 10 a.m. to 11.30. Help us mulch trees at Newburgh Middle School with a small group of Traeger family JCC volunteers. Uh, and then the last one is Tuesday, February 14th. They're going to be doing some pruning out in the Parkland neighborhood from 10.30 to noon. They'll be pruning a two-block radius of street trees in the Parkland neighborhood located near the Parkland Plaza. Again, for more information about any of that or to sign up to volunteer, just email morgan at treeslouisville.org. 
The Urban Agriculture Coalition also has their Winter Orchard Brigade happening. Uh, many dates coming up, including this Friday, February 10th from 2 to 5 p.m. at Americana Community Center. They're at 4801 Southside Drive. They've got some fruit trees that need a little love this winter. And if you can come out from 2 to 5 on Friday and help them prune, they would love that. Uh, then on uh, following Friday, the 17th, uh, I'm going to be hosting everybody at UofL's Urban and Public Affairs Garden, 426 West Bloom Street, from 2 to 5 as well. And there are more dates coming up. You can learn all about it and sign up to volunteer at foodinneighborhoods.org slash grow. Just find your way to the calendar and click on the events happening uh, for the Winter Orchard Brigade. Also on Friday, February 10th, the Louisville Community Grocery is having a bingo night and owners meeting at the uh, LCCC building at 1300 West Muhammad Ali. Uh, you can join the Louisville Community Grocery family for a fun night of bingo starting at 6 p.m. There'll be food, games, and fun. We hope to see you there. Afterwards, all Louisville Community Grocery owners are invited to join an informational gathering at 7 p.m. It's been a long time since we've been together. This will be a wonderful opportunity for owners to hear from the board of directors and ask questions, raise concerns, be in dialogue and in spirit of community. That's what co-ops are all about. The co-op wouldn't be here without our owners, and we can't wait to gather with you all. You can learn more, and you can become an owner today at LouisvilleCommunityGrocery.com. We have been working on this so many years. All we need now is about a 1,000 more owners, and you can be one of the families that helps sustain and launch this new and much-needed grocery, community-owned grocery. It's going to be built just south of Broadway in Smoketown, and we would love to have you become a member at LouisvilleCommunityGrocery.com, and we hope to see you on Friday, 6 p.m. bingo, 7 p.m. community uh, meeting for all owners at 1300 West Muhammad Ali. Also coming up on Friday, it is Music for a Purpose, presenting two concerts to benefit the Louisville Climate Action Network, featuring the Brahms Clarinet Quintet and music by Dvorak and more. Uh, it is going to be coming up Friday, February 10th, for the first concert at 7.30 p.m. at the Highland Presbyterian Church. The second concert is on Saturday, February 11th at 7.30 p.m. at the Peterson Duminal House, which has limited seating. There is a suggested donation. All proceeds are benefiting the Louisville Climate Action Network. Reservations are available. Just go to musicforapurpose.org, or you can check out louisvillecan.org slash events. That's the Louisville Climate Action Network's website. They also have information about the upcoming Music for a Purpose concerts benefiting the Louisville Climate Action Network this weekend. Don't miss it. Also this weekend, I uh, want to let you know about some of the upcoming things that are happening. The uh, Metro is hosting a community forester class this weekend on Saturday, February 11th from 9 a.m. to noon out at 9300 Whips Mill Road. In this class, you'll not only learn how to plant a tree and lead volunteer groups on planting days, you will also 
also learn about why tree planting is so important for our city. Trained community foresters serve as lead volunteers at our plantings across the city. Our awesome community foresters work with volunteers and community members to increase Louisville's urban tree canopy through plantings and education. Our canopy restoration efforts wouldn't be possible without our awesome community foresters. So you can become one this Saturday at 9 a.m. The class will take approximately three hours with an indoor lecture portion and a hands-on planting portion as well. Volunteer expectations include you must be at least 16 years old uh, to become a community forester, and you must volunteer at four tree planting events per year and become a lead volunteer and assist folks who've not planted before. Uh, It's pretty easy, low bar, and there are so many great neighborhood tree plantings coming up in the Smoketown neighborhood. The next one is Saturday the 18th from 1 to 4 at the corner of East Jacob and South Preston. I just did one of these tree plantings this past weekend, and it was so satisfying to get all those trees in the ground. They pre-dig the holes for you, so it goes really quickly, uh, and it's really gratifying work. Anyway, you can become a community forester if you take the class this Saturday, February 11th, 9 a.m. to noon out at 9300 Whips Mill Road, and more information is at bestparksever.com. Also coming up on Saturday the 11th, there's going to be a winter tree identification course out at the Louisville Nature Center from 10 a.m. to noon. How do you recognize a dogwood? Well, by its bark, of course. (laughs) Jokes aside, winter is a great time to polish up your tree identification skills. We will learn to recognize at least 10 common tree species by clues such as fallen leaves, branches, and twig patterns, buds, and bark. Uh, It's a one and a half hour slow hike for adults ages 12 and up. Get your tickets at louisvillenaturecenter.org. It's coming up on Saturday the 11th at 10 a.m. out at the Louisville Nature Center. Now, Coming up this Sunday, February 12th, it's the next in the weekly series of African-American history films taking place at the main public library on York Street, right next to us here at Ford Radio. UofL's uh, Health Science Center Office of Diversity and Inclusion is in partnership with the Louisville Free Public Library and Lean Into Louisville to present this sixth annual African-American history film series every Sunday during the month of February at 1.30 p.m., the Louisville Free Public Library main branch is hosting a film presentation and panel discussion led by Karen Krieger, a director of health equity at the Office of Health Science Center's Diversity and Inclusion. These events are free and open to the public for a listing of the films. And to register, you can go to lfpl.org slash bhfilms for the Black History Films. And the schedule is as follows. For Sunday, February 12th at 1.30 p.m., they're going to be showing Aftershock, a documentary film examining the lives of two bereaved families who reckon with one of the most pressing American crises today, maternal health. And that is an hour-and-a-half-long film starting at 1.30 on Sunday the 12th. On the 19th, they're going to be showing Till, and it wraps up on the 26th with My Name is Polly Murray. Again, more information is at lfpl.org slash bhfilms. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Be well.